0: Hi, I'm Will LaVise. He's Eric Claville. You're locked into another LaVise and Claville show We'll we give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. So let's get right to it. We've been covering the Derek Chauvin trial, and this is Justice for George Floyd, part three. Prosecution and defense, rest of their cases. Now the jury will start to deliberate to determine the fate of former officer Derek Chauvin in the killing of George Floyd. Many are anxious as memories of the Rodney King case and the Trayvon Martin case raise fears of a non-justice verdict. And I know I'm definitely in that camp of uh, concern about a non-justice verdict, talked about it before on this show, experienced the Rodney King trial and being convinced finally, you know, after years of growing up, seeing police brutality, experiencing it myself, Growing up as a young man in Brooklyn, New York, and then seeing the videotape and saying, "Okay, finally, finally, what we've been dealing with all these years, all these generations, the whole world is seeing. And we love to think that the same case is true for what happened with George Floyd. But Claville, as an attorney, you know, now last week, you know, the, the, the defense did what the defense we expect them to do. That's which right. Is to attack Mr. Floyd's character, which is to say that he was on drugs and say that all of these things had happened to him. It was not about the knee being on his neck for nine and a half mm-hmm. minutes, but it was about you know uh, exhaust from the car. It was about yeah arrest. <laughs> all of these other things. I mean, as a defense, you know, as an attorney, I mean, we expected that that's what they would do, and that's pretty much. The only thing, the only call that defense attorneys have in these kinds of cases, the same thing was done with Rodney King. So,
1: Yeah. Now, look, Will, you're exactly right. You know, we look at the case and to us, it's a no-brainer. To the rest of the world, it's a no-brainer. To the people that were there that saw it, that filmed it, who are still reliving the nightmare of it, it's a no-brainer. To many law enforcement officials across the country, it's a no-brainer. Right. But— Rodney King, but Trayvon Martin, and so many others that have gotten to this point so close. But again, reasonable doubt. One person, that's all it takes. One person. Keep in mind that the Supreme Court has just ruled in two states where one juror can still mean a guilty verdict, and that's Mm -hmm. Louisiana and Oregon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're currently looking at retroactivity on that as well. That's an old Jim Crow uh, standard of three right. uh, verdicts. But one person can say, you know what? Maybe that really wasn't the main contributing factor right. in George Floyd's death. Maybe Isn't we it? didn't see what we all believe we saw. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, It only takes one. I mean, how many times have we talked about people watching a video and coming to a very different conclusion? I mean, we're all watching the same video, but... You know, you have that one person or two or three people here that said, oh, no, maybe it's something else. You know, maybe it's different. And, you know, as, as we stated, you know, I, I think that the prosecution we talked about this in, in, in week one and uh, week two. I think the prosecution themselves uh, did a great job putting on witnesses that talked about the incident itself. Uh, the character of George Floyd, his right. life challenges with drugs and addiction, which I think now that the world understands because of unfortunately, the current opioid ep- epidemic. Keep in mind, we've had a heroin and opioid epidemic before. Right. You know, but, you know, right. you know and crack
0: in the whole in the whole thing. But the difference was it was this there was this lack of uh, humanization. Yes. In those other cases, and I, and I agree with you that the um, prosecution did an excellent job of humanizing uh, Mr. Floyd, humanizing the people who were there and experienced this, uh, this devastation, this, this, de- this dehumanizing yes. experience and how they were emotionally affected by it. And I Absolutely. think they did an excellent job of that. And then the defense comes back, you know, last week, you know, interestingly enough, as as we thought uh Eric Chauvin uh, on Thursday said that he was going to, you know, plead his uh, his fifth amendment rights, right. not incriminate himself. So he didn't go on the stand and we expected that. And I guess, you, you, again, as a reporter who's covered a trial, you as an attorney, you would agree, you know, it, yeah. it, 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 was not in his best interest to go and sit on that witness stand. He would have. But you know,
1: Will, fired. but you know, Will, I, I will say this after the testimony of the people that were there. Mm. I And his his exchange with the elderly gentleman on the sidewalk. Mm. And the testimony of that young nine ten year old girl that was there.
0: Right. Oh, yes. You know,
1: I thought that he probably had to really consider getting on that stand so that they could see his humanization. Mm. Yeah, all they're seeing. So you might have put, a, if you were his attorney, you might have put, put him up there. I would have highly considered it. I'm not yeah. saying I would have. After the evidence that went forth and, and the, um, the, the, the experts that they put up to testify, right. which I think were very questionable. Right. As a matter of fact, the, the ME that uh, said that it was the exhaust that uh, killed him uh, or contributed to his death or could have. Uh, when he, On cross-examination, he said, yeah, it could have. Um, what ended up happening is that that particular person now of course, once you get the AP involved in investigative journalism, you know, he's involved in a case now in Maryland. Yeah, he's got a lawsuit against him, you know. In uh, federal court. Yeah. You know, so that's saying that he withheld information and becomes more favorable, of course, to the police officers. But again, but the key is though, even in that, the key is is will the jury yeah. be allowed to hear that?
0: Because again, as you know, that's what's re- that's what's really key here, is right. that these jurors are now going to be you know, um, looking at the facts of the case, they're not hearing sort of these other nuanced things that we're hearing out here in the public. And there are certain parameters and things that they are privy to that we're not exactly privy to, that they can sit and really look at the evidence and look at it. And then they have to um, basically make their decision through the very uh, clear, hopefully clear, but limited instructions coming from <laughs> the judge, you know. Yes. So here again, here we are. You know, the the jury of public opinion, uh, looking at video, hearing the commentary, feeling the emotion. But they they are actually there, and they have a very different vantage point. And so, well,
1: will will, will, will for me, I I can say, and that's a very good point. I can say I watched about 70, 75 percent of the trial in mm-hmm. real time um there were a day i just had to take a break from a, a lot of the emotional testimony yeah uh, you know but I, you know i but, but i actually and then again we could talk about race fatigue in another at another time in in these incidents that we see keep coming over and over and over again right. but but you know i i think that the the judge the city the prosecution I think everybody understands the weight of this decision that's getting ready to come from the jury because this decision, if it's the if it's if it's deemed the wrong decision, right, whatever that decision uh, is, if it's deemed the wrong decision, it could have reverberating effects not just now, not just in the streets, not just across the country, but for years to come because that means that you've got another officer with clear and convincing evidence that he murdered somebody in broad daylight, hmm. clear and convincing. And I, and that's a very high standard, but I'm using that high standard because that's exactly what it is. That if he does not become held accountable for this murder, so you got Rodney King, you got the uh, officers in Eric Garner, you got the private citizen in Trayvon Martin, uh, you've got the officer Uh, in Castile case, who's back on the force, in Minneapolis as well. All All these individuals we've seen go to trial or go to towards some disciplinary action and they're back on the job. Nothing happened to them. So that becomes an issue. And if that happens, that gives even, I believe, that gives a false security to police officers saying that we can continue doing what we're doing. Uh, in those instances, which I don't think, again, nobody thinks what Derek Chauvin did was smart, was in line with any policy and procedure, which the the commander, the trainee officer, the captain, everybody uh, said the exact same thing. This is not part of our procedure. And I think that dings it uh, quite a bit because now we talked about the blue wall, Will. The blue wall, is it cracking or did they just open the door to let a bad apple roll out and they're going to close it shut? And I, and I think it's the latter. But the only challenge
0: there is that all of that kind of perspective about the possibilities, the negative possibilities that may erupt. Again, the jury is not privy to that (laughs) energy right now. Remember in the uh, Trayvon Martin case, Mm -hmm. where after the eruption. You started hearing from jurors, and jurors were like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. You was you hearing know comments about it. like, hey, you I know didn't, about didn't right. know. And again, if you've had time, if you've been on a jury, you know that they haven't been reading papers. They haven't been checking out CNN. They haven't been on social media. So they're very much locked in to the limited environment of this case. You know, after the verdict, um, NAACP put out a statement that said, uh, what we've all witnessed throughout the trial thus far confirmed what we saw in the video. Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd. As we turn to closing arguments on Monday, the nation waits on justice. Well, guess what? The jury, jury, the jury's not reading that. The jury's not reading that. The jury's not read. Well, he murdered. No, they not. They, the jury is going to get very clear instructions about what does murder. Really entail. They're going to get real clear instructions, and they're going to have real clear parameters that they can't go past. And essentially, as you said at the opening, it only takes one to say, "Wait a minute!" Based on the instructions, based on the evidence, I can't convict in good conscience. And, and it may, you know, the the it may really be someone who's honestly. Looking at this in an objective way, it, yeah. it could easily be you, you or I who, well, if, who, if we were put in that kind of situation, <laughs> where we were yeah, limited yeah. like that, that we might make the same type of Absolutely. judgment.
1: It's not okay. likely. It's not. It's not likely. Right. At all, but it is very, very well possible. Well, Will, I mean, you you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the juries, are, the the jurors are not reading what we're reading. They're not listening to what we're listening to. They're not seeing what we're seeing. Juries are sequestered. You know, and I talk about when I learned how to pick jurors, or it was called voir Dyer. Mm-hmm. You know, and in my very first job as a uh, legislative assistant, which is known as chief of staff or an elected official, mm-hmm. the jury where we used to go get our bacon sandwich, you know, at the top of the governmental building, uh, that's where we sequestered the jurors. So I got a chance while I was waiting on my sandwich to really look and see who serves on a jury, right, and to... Understand body language, and and the people that were grouped together, people that kind of stayed to themselves, people who felt that like they were the, and you could tell who were the leaders of the jury pool, right? So you you could you when you after years of studying that, and then actually participating in war dire, you know, you now look at and and see where you never ever ever say this is guaranteed. No trial is guaranteed. I've seen some go where. We thought it was going to go to the other side. I've seen motions been decided one way, the way everybody thought that it was going to be decided an opposite way. Uh, you see individuals become, you know, the, the leader or the defector, as, as we would call it. And you never, you, you never thought that that would happen. So I'm cautioning everybody, you know, you know, we know what we saw, but, but remember Rodney the King. Hey man, I, I tell you one of my,
0: Favorite movies, classic 12 Angry Men," which oh. is about you know the jurors. Jimmy Stewart. Twelve. yes. Yeah. You know, in uh, no Jane, uh, Fonda. Fonda was in that. That's oh. uh, James Fonda. Yeah. Um, and it's about it's about you know a ju- men, twelve men uh, deciding the fate of a young man, in a you know in a potential uh, homicide or murder case, right? Yeah. And you and you see how people come to a situation, there's the facts, yes, there's the limitations of the, and the instructions from the um, judge, yes, but people come to a situation through their own individual lenses, you know, and their own individual life experiences. And you see in that case how, you know, certain jurors were ready to just convict a young man, and a lot of it was rooted in their own Relationships, their own dysfunctional situations with their sons, or whatever the case is. And again, it gave you some insight as to it. In that case, it took one person who was like, No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got to look at the facts. We got to look at the facts. And he stayed in there, stayed in there, stayed in there until they finally went around and everybody really started confronting their true inner selves and how they were really dealing honestly with this case. Well, you just, you just don't know, you know, you just don't know whether it could go that way or whether it could go, you know, another way. You know, uh, one of the things that happened in a case that came out was, and we mentioned it sort of at the top about this issue of carbon monoxide being in his, you know, whether it was in his blood or not, because the uh, medical examiner said something about he could have died from carbon monoxide poisoning. And then what happened was the judge wouldn't allow, they could have, the prosecution could have had that testing done earlier and included, but didn't. And then tried to maybe, since it was raised, bring it in to the case, but the judge wouldn't allow it. Do you think, you know, from an attorney's standpoint, do you think they made a mistake there? Of not, well,
1: um, yeah, you know, again, as a defense, you're just trying to find a hole. Yeah, but you know, you don't have to prove the case. You're just trying to find one hole, and I think the defense were able to was able to find one hole. Now, there was a point where they talked about uh, they brought up the witness and talked about the amount of carbon monoxide that we all have in our system our CO two, and at one time. And he said, at that time, based upon the blood they drew, it was two percent. Uh, I mean, point two or something like that. And all of us are between zero and point three or zero and three percent. And you know, the, I think the prosecution did a good job on the cross. But to your point, the defense was they found again. I believe they found that hole. Right? You know, could it have been this? Uh, I think. I think the drug and the heart condition issue. Uh, of course, all of us have some form of heart, <laughs> you know, the degenerative heart dish issue, uh, as, as they say, the heart disease. You know, at some point, we all tend to, our hearts get weaker. You know, we all get older. Uh, but was that the main contributing factor uh, to his death? So again, they were just trying to find that hole, trying to find that hole. And real quick, you know, I, I pride myself on a classic movies. So when it, it was uh, Fonda and Matt Stewart, but... You know, during that time period they were both uh competing in those great movies. But my, my wife and I we were watching Twelve Angry Men not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And how Fonda was able to, his character was able to just raise doubt, you know, and you could tell like the cinematic uh um uh uh points in the movie where it was raining hard. Yeah, man, it was down. Classic,
0: classic.
1: And then all of a sudden after they decide and the the rain stops, they go outside and they (laughs) go one at a time. I mean, man, look, it was one of the best movies ever made, especially legal movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I I just don't think you have people like that anymore that's able to take that lead and change people's mind because you have to be a certain type of personality, right? Mm -hmm in that jury room to face another person especially when you got 11 against you mm-hmm. you know many people don't like controversy many people rather go with the with the crowd than be the pariah they would rather do that uh so will that will we have a Fonda in that uh jury room i'm not sure i don't know because we didn't see the jurors yeah. in the trial we 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 weren't there though more. we don't know their names we have no idea with their backgrounding we just know their gender and ethnicity right well well one of the things
0: you know to, to continue on the 12 angry men theme is that they were all white and they were deciding the fate of a they- uh, of a Hispanic kid and that was an aspect there of it in this case you know we know the racial overtones is is, is all over this and the jury is you know there's there's nine women five men Twenty-nine uh, percent of them are black. Fourteen percent mixed race. Fifty-seven percent white. And so, at least in this sense, um, we've we've got a close representation, I think, of the community. I don't know exactly what the the um, breakdown of the community of uh, Minneapolis is, but when you talk about just balance of men and women, yeah, and you talk about you know, having a, significant a percentage of black people on that jury. Um, I think from that standpoint, I think we're in good, we're in good standing. Yeah. But again, the, as you said, you know, it, it takes people who have a sense of bravery and conviction and are not just sitting there uh, saying to themselves, uh, you know, I really want to uh, get home, you know, yeah. be done with this because it's not easy being on a jury. I haven't personally been on one. Um, as a reporter, I've covered trials and I've seen a jury having to be in action, and I've seen the court in action. And as we were saying earlier about us being traumatized by the by the trial and having to see the video over and over, imagine them must be traumatized by the Absolutely. details that they're seeing. I mean, they've seen. The autopsy pictures, yeah, you know what I mean? They're, they're seeing a lot more detail and a yeah. lot more information to be traumatized over. So I want to believe yeah. that because many of them were exposed to Rodney King, Trayvon Martin, they did see the the uprising that occurred. Freddie Gray, all of these other individuals that we've been talking about, that they do have a, a strong sense of the gravity of the moment and that they're taking this, you know, this duty, this civic duty as Americans very seriously. And I, you know, I pray for them as well, because again, I know that I've been traumatized. I know a lot of people have been traumatized. We're in the middle of a pandemic that already has us in traumatization, if that's a word, mode. (laughs) So, so to be (laughs) so, to be sequestered <laughs> and inundated yeah. with this kind of information, um, it's got to be um it's got to be no small task. So uh, my yeah. prayers go out to them and
1: their families, you
0: know, as well.
1: You know, the uh the judge told him he said pack a you know, pack a long bag. It's gonna be a long mm. uh week or so. Uh, and he was telling you guys got basically he didn't say you gotta get it right, but you know Pack a good bag, you know, because you're going to be sequestered and for this deliberation. But you're right. You're right. I mean, imagine being just not just in a courtroom, you know, but also in uh, a multi-day trial at that, in this emotional trial. And it's a murder trial, right? And then away, being away from your family in COVID. They've got masks on in that courtroom the whole time. You know, and we all wear masks. They're not the most comfortable masks you know, things that have on your face. But everybody has masks on. Right. And not only that, but you're in an environment with not just 11 other people, but multiple different people, up to about 20 maybe, if you include the judge and the bailiff and the court reporters, the stenographer, uh, the uh, and the prosecution, their team, and the, and the uh, defense and their team. Right. Right? I mean, so you're putting yourself at risk with people you don't know, because we don't know. You know, I'm not sure about the COVID testing, but you are. We are traumatized. We still are. You know, things opening up, but we are So all that goes into your psyche, and then you're away from your family. That's right. Uh, You know, during this whole time, uh, you're able to have very short conversations. If you have children or family members, Uh, if you're used to sleeping in your own bed, (laughs) you're not sleeping in your own bed. That's that's right. That's another element, man. They
0: haven't even been talking to each other. They haven't had an opportunity. to. They haven't been talking to each other. It's like now is the first opportunity they're actually going to have to really that's right. engage each other so all of them have, have not been they've been i we think we've been isolated by the pandemic they've been isolated on top of isolation you know yeah they've
1: been in, so in they, their room just, by themselves yep, you know with yes, a tv yes. probably no telephones in there
0: yeah so chauvin so what's that stake? so chauvin is charged with second degree murder third degree murder and second degree manslaughter mm-hmm. uh if convicted of the most serious charge he could face ten and a half to fifteen years in prison under sentencing guidelines, and he also could receive you know lesser term. so the jurors must decide whether or not the government proved all the elements, and the defense bears uh, no burden of proof at all. You yeah. know? and so so is deemed innocent unless convicted, you know that's so so you've been pretty. You've been pretty good at uh, predicting <laughs> outcomes. What's your What's your gut tell you about how this case is going to?
1: Well, end up? Guess, you know, you said what, what's at stake, right? First of all, ten to fifteen years for that—that's not a lot of time, mm-hmm. right? That's first, first and foremost, especially with us coming out of the crack epidemic. Uh, a time where people were getting 40 years for three rocks of cocaine. You know, I mean, come on. Uh, this man lost his life. Uh, it wasn't his fault at all. Uh, he was begging for help, said he was he was being compliant. We saw he was compliant. Uh, even other officers even suggested maybe we should let him up. And keep in mind, also just looking looking ahead, the other officers, attorneys, are watching this trial too, because they're saying, because they were contributing to his his death.
0: That's right. That's and right. what
1: they're saying is don't plead guilty. Because if if Chauban gets off, then you got a great chance of getting off as well. Yeah. Because if he wasn't a direct uh reason for his death, contributory fact, then you were not a contributory factor to his death. So you have not just the Chauvin verdict, but you have the three coming behind, you, right? Right. Um, now, the other thing is, you know, with this particular trial, if he is convicted of the highest crime, right, then, of course, you get an automatic. I, I, I can't believe they're going to let him out. You know, they're going to mm-hmm. still remand him. He's going to be in custody. Uh, they're going to go through sentencing, probably pending his appeal. So he's going to appeal it, right? He's going to appeal it. Yeah, he's he's going to appeal it, uh, just like in the case where the white female officer shot both of them in Dallas, right? She was all she was very remorseful and so forth. Brother got on the stand saying, "I I believe my brother would forgive you. Right. I think I believe his brother would rather be alive." Right. Uh, but of course, we can't speak for for the dead. Uh, one way or the other, but she appealed her verdict, even though she was remorseful, you know, for what took place. So, you know, we see where officers can be convicted of the lesser crime, and I think if there is a conviction, I would be highly surprised, highly surprised if they do not convict him. I would be highly surprised if they do not. So, I believe there it will be a conviction. The question becomes on which actual. uh, Charge will he be convicted of? If anything, he'll definitely be convicted of the less the manslaughter. But um, my gut tells me that there will be a conviction on the higher. But at the same time, 10 to 15 years is not a lot of time uh, for this particular uh, murder.
0: Yeah, I I think I agree that conviction is going to happen. I think that it is going to be the lesser charge because. This is something that just tells me that when the jury is confronted with the instructions from the judge and the jury is looking at evidence that we're not looking at. Again, you said something earlier about having different vantage points to the same information, right? The jury has got all of the different video vantage points to look at and can sync up in real time and all of that. We're only seeing certain vantage points. We're only seeing it through either our cell phones or TV screens. You know, they, they're able to see this, this information in a very different way than most of us. And Excellent. I think that once they get access to that information and they have to go by the letter of the law as instructed by the judge, I think that they're probably going to end up with the lesser uh, charge. And then you're going to have the, um, you know, you're going to have the, as you said, you're going to have the appeal. You're going to have those things, but, but there's going to be a lesser charge. If there's no conviction, um, I would be, I would, as as unsurprised as I have been by things that have happened over the course of my life and yeah. seeing these things, I would still be surprised by that. Yeah. If there was none at all because yeah. this was just so egregious it was but I, I think to say that he he planned it out which in my understanding of where murder really is, is separates and becomes murder is that there has to be some level of premeditation and planning right. it out right. and um that's why i think he's going he's going to get the lesser yeah. charge right what, what do you what do you think well, i mean what do you think people should do you know, in terms of this case and even in preparing for the decision? Yeah. What you think?
1: so at first, I think that people should, again, sit back, let the process work itself out. Uh, but whatever happens, Will, I mean, this is, I think we're going to be traumatized again. Mm-hmm. If it's going to, if, if, if it's a, like you said, both of us are very, uh, uh, we're not optimistic it's going to be the higher crime. I think it should be. I think it could be but we're not optimistic that it will. So there will be some letdown there if it's not. Uh, if it's the lesser charge, people say, okay, but look at how much it took to get the lesser charge of manslaughter, right? Uh, so I think there's, you're also going to have some issues there. If there's non-conviction, I think that we're looking at uh, unrest within our cities uh, for a very lengthy time. Uh, I, I I just cannot fathom. I cannot fathom Seen a non guilty verdict and uh, how it plays out, especially in summertime again, right? It's spring, but we yeah, say? yeah. I mean, so now we come up on the anniversary of the actual murder. It was Memorial Day. It was Memorial Day. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we come up, Will, we come up on the anniversary of that and there's not any, it, it was a non guilty verdict. I mean, we're, we're traumatized again. And and I, but ultimately, whatever happens, we got to have a conversation about this across the country. We got to. We got to. Police departments have to stop. Time out, may- mayors, uh, social justice groups, time out. We got to come together, and we got to find a solution to this. Period. Well, we- I'll be praying for the jury,
0: praying for um, our nation. Praying for
1: our people, and just, this, this is the time to be praying, man. Pray for the best, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, again, you know, this is something that we're covering. Uh, we're going to cover it to the end, and even after we've been covering the George Justice for George Floyd from the very beginning, and uh, talking about issues not just around the trial, but even within our communities and how this thing will play out afterwards. So, thank you for joining us for this episode. If you want to follow us, please follow us on. Facebook, our social media, like, share, give us your comments as well. And until then, that's the way we see it and that's the way it is. We'll see you next time.